This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, September 29th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, motorcyclist dies in Slick Rock crash. San Miguel County maintains mask mandate. Telluride School District visions for the future and a mountain weather forecast. A motorcyclist died on Tuesday after crashing on Highway 141 near Slick Rock Hill. Shane Baca of Durango and California was an experienced motorcyclist, according to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office. He was driving when he hit a guardrail at high speed on the east side of the Dolores River Bridge. Baca was killed instantly. He was 22 years old. The cause and manner of death are under investigation. Crippen Funeral Home will handle services. Baca is survived by his beloved dog, Casey, his siblings, Landon and Adriana, and his parents, Sean and Brenda. Baca is the fourth person to die in a vehicle accident in the Slick Rock area since July 2020. With a number of fatalities in the area, Lisa Schwantes, Southwest Regional Communications Manager for the Colorado Department of Transportation, says CDOT will look at data to evaluate the safety of the 141, as it does with all roads and highways in the state. Was it a crash due to uh, impaired driving, or or is it not impaired driving and we're just seeing an increase on a section of highway? And is it because the highway is too narrow? Is it because the highway is too uh, curvy? Um, is it because we need a passing lane? Um, is it because there needs to be additional signage there? Those are the types of things that we look at from the crash data that is collected so that we can improve um, our U.S. and state highways and make them safer for drivers. She cannot speak to the facts surrounding Baca's death and notes there are many factors that go into a crash and a crash that leads to a fatality. However, Schwantis adds deaths from vehicle accidents are up across the southwest and south-central regions of Colorado. Between January and August 2021, 36 vehicle crashes in the area resulted in death. San Miguel County's mask mandate for indoor public spaces will stay in place for the month of October. Looking at our current case trends, um, we haven't really seen a tremendous improvement since when we first implemented um, our mask order, Um, but we have seen um, a slight improvement. As a whole, our state is on the right trajectory and we're heading in the right direction. And so um, really, I feel like over the next few weeks, it makes sense to maintain the indoor public mask order. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin speaking at a Board of County Commissioners meeting on Wednesday. She notes public health will continue to look at the data and could lift the mandate early. If we hit a place where our metrics really do um, level out in a sustainable way, um, we can reassess. San Miguel County is extending the mask mandate as young people remain unvaccinated, COVID cases remain higher than comfortable, and masks prove to be an effective tool to mitigate spread in school settings. With that said, not all educators in the county are comfortable with the mandate. Norwood School District Superintendent Todd Bittner says it's been a struggle to keep younger students in masks, and it's having an effect on mental health. School uh, climate and culture is an imperative during these times of crisis. 
And I am doing my best to making sure that our children in the Norwood community are taken care of in the best possible way. The mask mandate isn't helping. Franklin acknowledges the pandemic's impact on mental health for young people, but she notes it can also come from the stress of losing a parent or family member to the virus, having to move, or financial troubles. She says keeping students in person for learning is a benefit to maintain a sense of normalcy. And so from a public health perspective, too, um, I, I recognize that it can be uncomfortable um, and or cause anxiety to some people to wear masks. But across the board, wearing a mask does provide an important layer of protection to prevent the spread of illness, um, as well as keeping our kids in school. Franklin adds, with roughly 40 percent of young people who get COVID being asymptomatic, masks in schools help prevent unknown spread to more vulnerable people in the community. The added layer of protection continues as hospital capacity in the state and region remains strained. On the western slope, we received reports from our um, ER this morning saying that um, a lot of the hospitals um, both ICU and med surge are full or very tight on beds or staffing. While Franklin says hospitalizations across the state are increasing with non-COVID-related patients, COVID is compounding the demand for beds. And it's impacting San Miguel as well. Within our county, we've had a little bit more difficulty transferring folks over um, this last week um, from across the county. Um, and we did... Um, TMC had some um, somebody who had to get flown to Denver because um, one of our, um, our our regional partners weren't able to accept them over the weekend. Um, so it's just we're seeing the impact in a very um, uh, direct way right now. Currently, two San Miguel County residents are hospitalized with COVID-19. One was admitted this week, and Franklin says public health is still gathering data on their condition. The one that has been hospitalized for a while has now been in the ICU for 20 days um, and is really not doing well. Um, and so we're, we're, we're hoping that um, they continue to heal and get better and um, recover. Franklin says the patient is in their 70s with no underlying conditions. They're unvaccinated. San Miguel County's indoor mask mandate will continue through October. Public health will continue to evaluate data and may repeal the mandate early if metrics improve. What vision should guide the Telluride School District? It's a big question, and it's what the district's Board of Education is trying to figure out. As long as I've been on the board for four years, it's we've been hankering to do this. We've been wanting to set a path for the future, 21st century education in a small town. That's Board of Education President Stephanie Hatcher speaking at a community meeting this week. Visioning is more than an abstract exercise. The board, she explains, only hires one employee for the district, the superintendent. The vision statement will serve as the rubric of expectations for what the board wants from them. Can we focus on what outcomes we want and then measure those year to year in terms of measuring how close you can get to those. And that way we leave the management and the means to the superintendent and the staff that he hires. Now that John Pandolfo has been in the superintendent position for a little over a year and COVID is cooling down, the board feels it's a good time to do this big picture work and update what the district's aims are. 
The district's current vision statement, Hatcher notes, has been in place for a while. Through quality education, students will achieve personal success. But modern day schools, she notes, are places for more than just learning to read, write, and do math. They're also community hubs for social and emotional needs. There's so many hats that school districts have to wear. And for us in Tyride, that's complex because we're a small community. So we're all wearing hats. The new draft vision statement Hatcher presents aims to take these varied roles into account. It reads, to maximize post-secondary success in a diverse world, the Telluride School District educates each student through excellent academics and equitable opportunities while addressing individual needs and fostering a culture of high achievement within a safe and healthy community. Hatcher goes on to break down each of those components. For instance, a focus on equitable opportunities, she says, is new for the district. One part of that is looking at alternative pathways. There's a lot happening in the world right now across the nation um, and even in our state with respect to looking, you know, kids kind of shunning the college route and looking for internships and jobs that'll get them career ready instead of going to college. Hatcher also notes the importance of the focus on a culture of high achievement, which she translates as encouraging students to be their best selves. We're building the community we live in. We're part of it. We, it's up to us to kind of define what our community is. And if we can impart some of that good citizenship and collaboration and self-confidence and leadership in our children from a young age, I, I would think that would be a signature element of community that they can leave Telluride with. When it comes to making all this happen in a safe and healthy community, one element Hatcher points to is increasing the use of the natural environment around the district. Even Norwood or Uray or Ridgeway doesn't have ski PE. You know, there's a lot of communities that, even though they're near us, don't have as much interaction with nature that we have right at our footsteps. Each component of the vision statement also has a more detailed list of bullets outlining how the district plans to achieve it. All in all, Hatcher notes, these big-picture goals are important because they will guide how the district does and does not use its resources. So, aligning on them is key. If you can get a whole community in agreement to as best you can on, you know, five priorities that we're going to focus on, I think that's a great system. Implementing all this, Hatcher notes, will take time. But the board hopes to solidify the vision statement and supporting materials by the end of the year. The Board of Education is looking for feedback on the materials. They're hosting two community forums on Wednesday, October 6th and Monday, October 11th at 5.30 p.m. in the Palm Theater to go over the visioning and get comments. There is also a link on the district website to the materials and a Google form to provide thoughts. It's autumn. And that means a couple things. Colorful leaves and sweater weather, but also election season. Local and statewide elections will take place on Tuesday, November 2nd, and San Miguel County Clerk and Recorder Stephanie Van Dam has a couple of reminders as her office prepares to mail out ballots in early October. First, she urges everyone to check their voter registration status. Most people can do that online at GoVoteColorado.gov. That system will work if you have a Colorado driver's license. 
If you're a voter without a Colorado driver's license, you can call the county clerk's office at 970-728-3954. You can register to vote up to and including Election Day, but Van Dam adds you need to register by Monday, October 25th to get a ballot in the mail. For everyone already registered, the county is mailing out ballots on Friday, October 8th. And then the following Monday, October 11th, is a holiday. Um, So I would say people can expect their ballots to arrive sometime beginning on the 12th and thereafter during that week. Um, If for some reason you don't receive a ballot in the mail and you think you should, you can check your voter registration online or call our office um, and we will help you out. You can mail in the mail-in ballots, drop them off at the county courthouse, or pop them into any drop box in the state. There will be three drop boxes in the county. So there's one that's located at the Miramani Building, 333 West Colorado Avenue. There's one that's located in Placerville. Uh, It's right next to the Placerville Schoolhouse, and that's uh, 400 Front Street. Uh, And then another one located at the Glockson Building in Norwood, and that's 1120 Summit Street. The drop boxes are open 24-7 under constant camera surveillance. In-person early voting will also be available in Telluride at 335 West Colorado Avenue starting Monday, October 25th. Uh, They're open from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. Also open on Saturday, October 30th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. There is no in-person early voting in Norwood, but on Election Day, polling places will be open in Telluride at 335 West Colorado Avenue and at Norwood Town Hall from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Since it's a coordinated election, all local and statewide questions will be on the same ballot, coordinated through the county. More information is available on the county website under the Elections tab. The 2021 election will take place Tuesday, November 2nd. KOTO is covering many of this year's election issues over the next month. Head to KOTO.org to hear our recent forum with half the candidates running for Telluride Town Council. The other half of the candidates will be on this Tuesday at 6 p.m. We'll also be discussing other issues throughout October. A new Bustang route between Telluride and Grand Junction is now running. The bus will depart Telluride at 7.20 a.m. at the Lawson Park and Ride and reach Grand Junction a little after 10 a.m. There will then be a return trip from Grand Junction around 3 that gets back to Telluride a little before 6.30 p.m. The route will also make stops in Placerville, Ridgeway, Montrose, Olathe, Delta, and four stops in Grand Junction at the Grand Valley Transfer Center, VA Western Colorado Healthcare System, St. Mary's Medical Center, and the Grand Junction Regional Airport. There will also be an extra trip between Montrose and Telluride that leaves Montrose at 5.45 a.m. and gets to Telluride around 7 a.m., and a return trip that leaves Telluride a little before 6.30 p.m. and gets to Montrose around 7.30 p.m. The route will run five days per week with the potential for weekend service in the future if there is high demand. Fares are set at 17 cents per mile, seniors 65 years and older, children ages 2 to 11, and disabled individuals ride at half price. Tickets are available through the Bustang Outrider mobile app. Riders can also pay on the bus with cash. In other transit news, the Colorado Department of Transportation will close the eastbound lanes of I-70 that run through Glenwood Canyon 
on Friday, October 1st and Sunday, October 3rd from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. for road work. Westbound lanes will not be affected. Colorado is a big step closer to having a new congressional map after a politically diverse committee agreed on a map late Tuesday night. Their plan calls for the new 8th Congressional House District to stretch from Greeley to North Denver. It also creates a map where Democrats and Republicans are favored to win three seats each, with the remaining two districts as toss-ups. Lori Schell is an unaffiliated commissioner from Durango. Together, we have changed the course of congressional redistricting in Colorado and provided an example for the rest of the country. This is the first time an independent commission has led the redistricting efforts after voters approved a ballot measure in 2018 aiming to prevent political influences at the state capitol. For one high school in rural southwest Colorado, the homecoming parade was almost canceled this year, again. But the community came together to make it happen after all. Homecoming weekend in Montezuma County was a reminder of how important it is for both students and the community to come together. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Lucas Brady Woods brings us this story. That's the sound of the Montezuma Cortez High School homecoming parade as it moved along Montezuma Avenue last weekend in Cortez. And it was a pretty darn impressive procession. We're talking trucks, cars, and horses. Throngs of MCHS students waved from truck beds, car windows, and yes, from on horseback too. Even the Cortez Fire Department joined in. And as per this year's homecoming theme, which was out of this world, the parade was also full of aliens, men in black, and Star Trek characters. But they were also decked out in MCHS orange and white, of course. But it's not just meaningful for the high school students in the parade. Parade goers of all ages lined Montezuma Avenue to watch. Take Michaela Bernison. I like that there's fire trucks in it. The fire trucks were definitely a favorite among some of the youngest audience members, but some of them had other priorities. Why is the homecoming parade important for you guys? Um, like for football. That was Duke Herman. He's five. And for parents and other community members, like Michael Messner, it was an important opportunity to come together. It pleases everyone, and everyone's having a good time and enjoying themselves. Then we have high school theater teacher and parent Nicholas Sandner. He said this year's homecoming parade was especially significant. Well, I think it's super exciting to be able to uh, come back and, and do a homecoming parade, and especially since it almost got canceled this week, um, the fact that everybody banded together to be able to make it happen was really exciting. The original parade date was canceled because of a shooting at a home adjacent to Kemper Elementary School in Cortez. All students were evacuated safely from the school, and classes resumed normally the next day. And that incident follows the cancellation of last year's homecoming because of the COVID-19 pandemic. That and so many other school events. So yeah, this year's festivities meant a lot to the community, but they probably meant even more to the students. MCHS student body president Avery Wright was in the parade, waving from the back of a pickup with other volleyball players. She says for the students, it wasn't just about the parade. 
The homecoming football game, for example, was also a bigger hit than usual. The football game was huge. I don't think I've ever seen so many people attend one of our football games before. And it doesn't stop there. Wright also says the homecoming dance sold out their maximum capacity of tickets. There were tickets that were being sold on Craigslist for like $100, $200. We've never had anything like that. And the dance was packed. Clearly, the high school students have been itching for social interaction, which is understandable. The last few years haven't been easy for high school students. Between remote classes, repeated quarantines, and actual COVID-19 infections among the student body, they've been through a lot. Student body president Wright says that, like the larger community, the student community has experienced division, too. For example, over mask mandates. I know people felt like strongly about like wearing masks. I know others like were the opposite, like against masks. So we're seeing like a little bit of like that division in our high school. The Montezuma Cortez RE1 school district has experienced controversy over the last few months. The school board, along with input from community members, has debated critical race theory and mask mandates. And earlier this week, teachers pleaded with the board to address critical staff shortages in the district. Wright says students are aware of some of the issues. The second or third week of school, I had like a sub in my first teacher aid class, and she was the same sub for my English class. I know we've had a substitute shortage. She also thinks the student body should be included more in the debates about issues that affect them. I think as just like a student government and like the whole student body, I think we would just like to be heard more, I guess. Because like as a student government, we plan like homecoming and things like that, but we never really like help with things around our school such as like the, talking about like the mask mandate. But at the end of the day, homecoming is about bringing people together. And Wright says it's obvious from this year's turnout that students and the community are eager to celebrate together again. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Cortez. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for scattered showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Thursday, expect partly sunny skies with scattered showers and thunderstorms and a high around 50 degrees. Thursday night should be cloudy with scattered showers and thunderstorms and a low around 40 degrees. Friday calls for mostly cloudy skies with showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon and a high near 50 degrees. Friday night, expect mostly cloudy skies with a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low in the mid-30s. This has been the news for Wednesday, September 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, Kodo listeners. It's your last chance to make your voice heard about what you need to live a happy and healthy life in our community. Tri-County Health Network's Community Health Needs Assessment ends on September 31st, and we want to hear from as many of you as we can. Do you need housing? Tell us about it. Do you have trouble getting to doctor's appointments? Let us know. Fill out the survey to tell us what you need so that we can help provide it. Go to tchnetwork.org backslash health dash survey or find TCH Network staff at local farmers markets to fill it out. You even get a $5 gift card for completing it. Don't wait to make your voice heard. Fill out our survey today. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.